0: I want to draw your attention tonight to the last two verses of 2 Chronicles 31. To verses 20 and 21 of 2 Chronicles 31. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, In the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. I'm sure that over these last few weeks, you have received cards. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. A good New Year. And in our materialistic society in which we live, that is often wished that people might have a prosperous new year. We mentioned this morning that parable of the rich farmer, that farmer who had prosperity, who had everything, but he forgot that he had a soul and that there was a time when God said to him, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. But true prosperity, real prosperity is spiritual prosperity. That comes as a result of the smile of heaven. And the people of God have often been very prosperous, even when they have not prospered materially. And if you know anything about the work of the gospel in the Ukraine today, you will see a people who, in the midst of great darkness and great horror, are knowing what it is to be wonderfully spiritually prosperous who know what it is to rely on the great God of heaven for their very next meal and desire that spiritual things might be a present reality in their lives. And during this coming year, if God should spare us, I pray that we as a fellowship and also as individuals might long that we might have truly a prosperous new year. For this is what Hezekiah had in his day. He knew what true spiritual prosperity it was. And what we have in these last two verses are God's character reference of this amazing king. We have it written down here. This is how God viewed Hezekiah. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What we have in these two verses is a summing up of his life from the perspective of the true and living God. We have a similar example of that in the book of Esther regarding Mordecai. We have a summing up of, 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 of Mordecai and what a wonderful and remarkable statement it is. Right there at the very end of the book of Esther and chapter 13 we have this remarkable and amazing, chapter 10 rather, we have this remarkable statement. For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. There is God's reference of Mordecai. And here is God's reference regarding Hezekiah. It is a very brief statement. It's a very wonderful statement. And it sums up from God's perspective Hezekiah entirely. And I want you to notice the three things that God mentions about Hezekiah. The first is that he did what was good. He did... What was good, in chapter 29 and verse 3, we know that he began by working on the temple. He repaired the doors of the temple. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. The house of the Lord was to have first place, in his life. He was going to restore the land to God-centred, God-ordained worship. And then there was a celebration of the Passover in chapter 30, the restoration of the Passover. It hadn't been kept. So Hezekiah made absolutely sure that the Passover would be kept. And in chapter 30 and verse 3, for they could not keep it at the regular time, because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And he restored the Passover. So important, so necessary for the people of God. And then in chapter 31, there had been the restoration of true, God-centered, God-ordained worship. What a remarkable king. What an amazing man was this man, Hezekiah. And what is worship? It is a renewed heart occupied with God. Have you come to think of that tonight? As you have come here to worship God. And if you are a believer, if you've been born again of the Spirit, you have a renewed heart. You have a new life. And when we come here, we are to be a people who are occupied with God. And what a great, glorious, amazing God He is. New covenant worship, gospel worship is not outward, but it's inward. It is a matter of the heart. It is the heart being taken up with the glory of God. It is the highest privilege. And as A.W. Tozer said many years ago, it is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. True worship desires that as little be seen of man at all, because it's ultimately to be taken up with God, his glory, his majesty, his holiness. It is to be taken up with the great God of heaven and the great God of earth. Simple worship. I remember many years ago being in France and we were recommended to go to a fellowship in Annecy and it was a lovely time we had there. The chapel that we went to was a converted shopfront. And uh, a man led the worship called Edwin rees Now I have schoolboy French. And they had an open time of worship. And people began to pray, and people began to read the scriptures. There was nothing exciting. It was solemn, it was joyful, it was living, and it was live. And then this dear brother stood up and preached... And I could tell he was preaching in the power of the Spirit, even though it was in French. There was no closing hymn. So the people went away with the word of God on their hearts. And during the afternoon, they used to spend Sunday afternoons walking around the lake, talking together about the things of the eternal God. What a wonderful thing it is to worship God. What a glorious privilege it is to be here tonight, To worship almighty God. To centre our worship on him, not ultimately upon us. And to know the joy that comes. A joyful seriousness that comes among the people of God. You see, Hezekiah was a man who was so God-centred. He did everything before God. He never approached things naturally. He approached things spiritually. Now we have boys and girls here tonight. Children who go to school. And if you have a highly respected teacher, when you're doing your lessons, you know that the teacher's eye is upon the class, looking to see if you're doing the right thing and if you're behaving Yourself. And it's the same kind of thing in church life. We have to order our lives recognising that the eye of God is ever upon us. We are to seek to do all things in the sight of God. The preacher is to proclaim truth, knowing that he does it with the eye of God upon him. And knowing that one day he's going to be accountable everything he says and everything that he does. In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 4 we read these remarkable words where Paul is writing to the believers at Thessalonica but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God who tests the heart. A preacher is not out to please men. No, a preacher is to make the word of God simple. He is to make the word understandable. He is to make the word of God attractive. He is to make the gospel attractive. But he's not ultimately out to please men. He's out to please the only true and the only living God. You notice also this about dear Hezekiah. He did what was right. He did what was right in the sight of God. He was always out to do what pleased Almighty God. And in chapter 29, for example, and verse 4, we read these words. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place you want to have a spring clean get rid of all the rubbish because here was a man who wanted to do what was right in the sight of almighty God and in verses 15 of that same chapter and they gathered their brethren sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the King, as the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord, he dealt with what was wrong, because he was a man who wanted to do what was right. And there are times, and are not in church life, where things have to be dealt with, and sometimes it can be extremely painful to deal with them. When we look into the New Testament. What is Paul often doing? He's applying corrective surgery to the churches because he loves them and he wants things to be done that is right in the sight of God. Look at the corrective surgery he applies to Corinth and to other fellowships. I'll read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and you see that there's only two churches that come out squeaky clean. But he's applying, the Lord Jesus is applying corrective surgery to those churches. You see, worship has good, but it's also to be right. How do I know it? what is right? By following biblical principles. And those of us who are believers are to seek God's face in prayer privately. And to know what it is to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, to know God intimately, in order that with the help of the Spirit through the Word, we might do that which is right. Many years ago, I had a very good friend who was a church secretary. And he went round to see the minister who was a good friend of mine who's been here, Andrew Davis and he called on a Monday morning and his wife called out to Andrew Davis Andrew, Colin's here to see you there was no response he called out again a little later she called out again a little later Colin's here to see you and eventually he came down the stairwell, stairs. And my friend said it was like Moses coming down the mountain. You could see that there was a man who knew what it was to be alone with God. And we are to be a people who know what it is to be alone with God. Especially preachers. And if in the goodness of God very soon, I hope this year, God give you a full-time Pastor. May he be a man who ultimately knows what it is to be alone with God. In many ways, there are many things that can help you. Help the Buddhist preacher prepare sermons today more than ever before. But the best sermons are those who are, who, are, who are prepared alone with God. Who know what it is to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty and to do what is right in the sight of God. And then he did what was true before the Lord his God. And the word there also means faithful, or that which is steady, that which is constant. A strong determination was not the hallmark of his life, even though some might think it was. This man's motive was that he might be true to his God. Always being true to his God. He was steady. He was reliable. He was constant. He was consistent. He was like Moses as well. You remember Moses. And what was said of Moses could also be said of Hezekiah. In Numbers 12 and in the 7th verse, we have these amazing words regarding Moses. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And so it was that Hezekiah was a man who was faithful in all God's house. He refused to be governed by self-pleasing considerations. His ultimate desire was to please his glorious God. And that should be the desire of every believer. As you order your homes under the word of God, may it be this, that you might be pleasing to God, that you might be true before the Lord your God. As you come here during the coming year, if God spare you, that your desire and my desire might always be true to the Lord our God. Faithful commitment to his word and to his truth and obedience to his word. We are not to be just hearers only. It is so important. And then you notice that there was wholehearted labor. It wasn't half-hearted. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did with all his heart. So he prospered. Now, my dear friends, I don't find retirement in the Bible. If you find it, let me know. <coughs> Realignment, yes. But not retirement. When Jean lived in Stowmarket, they had she had some neighbours, they were brethren. A lovely couple, they were. Mr and Mrs Green. I remember going to see this dear brother as he was coming to the end of his life. And he said to me, he said, I've got plenty of work to do. And at that time he had both legs bandaged and he was sitting up in his chair and having a footstool. I said, what do you mean? Plenty of work to do, Bill? Yes, he said, I've got so many people to pray for. You see, right to the end of our days, while God gives us breath, we are to be wholehearted in our service for the Lord. Let us pray that we will not be like the church at Laodicea, that we might be, not be lukewarm and self-sufficient, but that we might know what it is to humbly depend upon the Lord our God. There's to be no apathy. There's to be no attitude, let me leave it to somebody else. And this dear man, Hezekiah, knew what it was to seek his God with all his heart. And I pray that you may do that this coming year. And you might seek God for a full-time pastor with all your heart. And know what it is to seek God as individuals. To know what it is to do what is right as a family. To do what is right as individuals. And pray that you might know more and I might know more of the word of God in order that we might order our lives according to it. And that we might have before us eternal realities. Eternal realities of heaven and hell eternal realities of life and death, the reality of reminding ourselves that everything we have one day is going to pass away and that we are strangers and pilgrims and that this life is but the womb of eternity and to remember that one day we're going to have to give an account in the light of heaven And may we be delivered from doing anything from a man-centred perspective. May our perspective be centred upon the great God of heaven and the great God of earth. Look at who God is. And look at all wonderful things that he's revealed in his word. Tell me, can there be any room for apathy? Of course there can't. And we need, with Hezekiah, to be taken up with him. But look at him. In the law and in the commandment, to seek his God. The law was given out of love to a covenant people, for the well-being of the people, the requirements of God to a distinct people. He was a true servant in that regard. There was a ceremonial law that had to be kept. There were the Ten Commandments. There was a civil law. And if he could do that, in the light of this, how much more we? For we are living in a gospel day. We are living in a generation where we have come to see the fulfillment of the ceremonial law. In the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the wonderful teaching of the Saviour. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the epistles. And they are wonderful and they are glorious. And they're full of doctrine, but also full of practical application too. On how to live in this godless world. We have far more than Hezekiah. He never read the Gospels. He never knew the epistles. And yet we have so much more and it's wonderful and it's a glorious thing. And there's to be that determination with us to serve the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our lives. What a great and glorious thing it is to serve God. And there will be joy in it and there will be delight in it. To serve God for the people who truly know what it is to give God wholehearted worship and wholehearted service have a remarkable and an amazing and a wonderful joy. I remember back in 1993, I was asked if I would go on a long journey and take a young couple back to the land of Serbia, to Nice in Serbia, and then to go on to Romania, and then to go on to Poland. It will be a a long journey, three and a half thousand miles. And I took a friend with me who had never been involved in ministry in Eastern Europe. He was between jobs. And I was told it could be a risky business. Well, we got to the Hungarian-Serbian border and we were certainly not welcomed with open arms. All around us there were soldiers with machine guns at the ready. I put in our British passports and they just threw them across the room. They certainly didn't want to see us. And it was a very difficult time on that border. I was told that we would have some trouble And I'm always up for a challenge. Well, we were eventually allowed in after a lot of argy-bargy. And our friends were allowed in. And we went down to Nish in Serbia. We spent the Lord's Day there. Well, the most wonderful Lord's Day you could ever have. The presence of God was wonderful. It was a baptizing service and the people were so alive I think it was about a three hour meeting if I remember rightly quite usual in Romania let me tell you too and we embraced the brethren and we left our two friends there in Leish and then we drove back we had a lot of literature on board and that was to go to a brother in the north of Serbia well we got caught in a speed trap And it was quite a set-up job to catch these westerners. And we were taken to a police station, and we were put in a police compound. And my friend said to me, "What are we going to do now?" I said, "There's only one thing we can do, and that's pray." We had our passports, and we were there for three and a half, three to four hours, and. Eventually the chief came out and he said to me, I like Anglo-Saxon people. I said, how thankful I am to hear that. <laughs> and then he handed us our passports and he said, you're free to go. And then he pointed to the, English, the Christian literature that we had on board in their own language. And he said, come, my men have some of your propaganda literature. You're welcome to take as much as you like, I said. And we left the police station with the men reading Christian literature. And we got to the north of Serbia where we had to go. And there was this dear brother. In the midst of the most difficult and dangerous situation, proclaiming the truths of God... He had his own radio station and he was proclaiming the truth of God. And many would have given up. Many would have wanted to have given up. But he was there preaching the gospel and he had no fear of man. Now, my dear friends, we are to be people who are on fire for God. Be careful with these iPhones, you know. I can be terribly time-wasting and time... They are good, but be careful with them and remind yourself that the most important thing is to be in prayer with the great God of heaven and the great God of earth. May it please you, please God, to grant that you might be able to be even more evangelistic in the current year. Continue to have a heart concern for these young people. Continue to have a heart concern for every boy or girl that enters this place, that they might truly come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, drinking the truths of the New Testament. You see, what do materially prosperous people do? Well, they talk about their socks and chairs, don't they? They talk about their investments. They talk about what they have. And it's not wrong to be materially prosperous. God has blessed many people with material prosperity. But what are the things that should excite us most? The things of Christ. The things of God. The things of the Word of God when we gather together individually and collectively to speak about the things of God. Does it not do your heart good to speak about these things and to talk about these things? And we become spiritually prosperous, collectively prosperous, spiritually prosperous. And even when trials come to us, as they do, and you may be going through a time of great difficulty, even tonight as I speak here, there ultimately that you might become spiritually prosperous, that you might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Remember, fruit trees have to be pruned. And sometimes God has to use his painful pruning life upon his people in order that they might bring forth more fruit. We need winter as much as summer because winter will take away all the diseases. And as we grow in our lives and grow in the grace, we long that it might be seen That our churches may be truly prosperous. A prosperous new year. Not necessarily numerically prosperous. But spiritually prosperous. What a wonderful thing it is to have a people full of the word of God. Not knowing the word of God just in the mind. But knowing the truths of the word of God transforming their lives. We are to be renewed. We are to have our hearts transformed through the renewing of our minds. Not just an intellectual understanding, but also an experimental understanding. And by having an experimental understanding to have our lives wonderfully transformed by the wonder of the word of God. (coughs) I managed to give somebody a birdhouse for Christmas. And uh, it's a club, quite a large one. Somebody was selling them 10 pounds each, and my wife knows how much it cost. No. you look inside those bird houses. you can sometimes see them see it on Nature Watch, can't you? On Spring Watch, and, uh, little birds have got their mouths wide open for food from their mums, from their, from their parents. And oh, that when we come to the house of God, may we come with mouths open, with a hunger for the word of God. And may the people of God, as they gather together, long to be fed with the finest of the wheat and to know what it is to be fed in their souls with the word of God. And the end of that parable of the rich fall, it talks about being rich toward God. And by being prosperous, we become rich toward God. May we do all things with all your heart. You know, there are times they are not, and we have to be honest, when we have to drag our feet to the house of God. I find this on a prayer meeting night. I'm given all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't be there. And we have to reject every one of them. Because the devil doesn't want us to be there. He doesn't want us to be there. And we have to come. And we have to seek the face of God on a Lord's Day. What about a wet Sunday evening? Maybe you found it difficult to come here tonight. Don't listen to the devil. Come and worship God and hear his word and pray that the word of God might be a living reality in your life and mine. That we might be a people, not just a reformed people, but a transformed people. And a people who are being conformed to the image of Christ. But one thing, do you know these things? Is your soul safe? You see, you can only do these things if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God. And I pray, my dear friend, that if you're not a child of God here tonight, that you will be. And you know what it is to come as you are, and seek the face of God with all of your heart and pray for the Lord Jesus to come and to save your never-dying soul. Let us pray. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. O God in heaven, we pray that as individuals here tonight, that you may grant that we may be a people who are spiritually prosperous during this coming year. And we pray that as a fellowship, that we may be spiritually prosperous too that we may be full of fruit the fruit of the Spirit we pray that we may be full of life that we may have that joy that comes as a result of knowing it is well, it is well with my soul that we may keep short accounts with you that when we do fall and falter, we might recognise it and repent of it. We pray indeed, O Lord, that you may grant us a closer walk with you. As the old hymn says, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul, refreshing view of Jesus and his word? O God in heaven, at the beginning of this year, Give us a fresh vision of Jesus, we pray, in all his loveliness and in all his glory. What a magnificent person he is. Refresh us in him, we ask, in Jesus' name.